Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Externist Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cullen. With me is my co-host, Nathan Sharpentier. How you doing, Nate? Good. Thanks, everyone, for stopping in again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this this will actually be our second time recording this today. I guess that's the problem you get with using free podcast apps is it's not easy <laughs> but um that's okay yeah. uh, we'll try to make it maybe a little better this time around um we tried using before... your uh we tried using your airport uh headphones right the ones they give yeah. you on the plane uh <laughs> no i actually actually they were like noise canceling ones from the school um like bows or something but <laughs> Yeah, so before we get started, um, our disclaimers, you know, none of this information is intended or designed to treat, prevent, or cure any medical condition. It is for educational purposes only. If you think you have a condition, you should go see your doctor. And yeah, with that... um, Today's topic is uh, we're going to introduce um, functional medicine, and I think we're going to make this kind of a three or maybe ten part series. I mean, <laughs> I think it's just going to always kind of be the theme after this. But um, yeah, before we before we delve into that, um, you know, last last time you did the podcast, I went and saw Nate up in Ashland and got to do some mountain biking. And, um, I took my dog on this trail and, um, he found this lizard that was trying to hop up on this, um, boulder. And so he's, he doesn't really know what to do with it. He's, he's biting at it. He's kind of throwing it in the air. I'm like a Cooper dude, like Cooper's his name. I'm like, just eat it. Like <laughs> stop playing with your food and just eat it or leave it alone. One or the other. And, I mean, the lizard could have just ran away in any other direction, but for some reason he thought getting on top of this rock would save him. Um, but it just got me thinking, like, you know, what? let's look at this lizard, you know, this, this creature that's in nature. Like, what if it didn't need to forage for food or, you know, travel long distances for reproduction? Um, like, what if it did everything it could to try to maintain kind of this constant state of comfort? Like, what do you think would happen? And it just made me think like, man, that's exactly what's happening today. You know, that's exactly what we've done with, you know, modern society. Um, and I mean, like, look, what, look what's happening. Like the majority of our population is fat, overweight. They've got all kinds of metabolic dysfunctions, immune dysfunctions. Um, so yeah, that's what happens when you take a, you know, a species and you take it out of its normal environment. Um, things kind of go out of whack and well, I mean, there's just like two things I wanted to mention about this lizard story that are important is that, um, I guess just the one main thing is that, you know, we understand how the environment influences the expression of our genes. Um, you know, the whole process of methylation, like turning genes on and off. And those processes are carried over through generations. And so, problem I see is that if we keep going down this road of, of chronic disease, um, you know, we are going to be more likely to pass those particular, um, 
predispositions or those traits on to future generations. And that's always going to, you know, that's only going to create more and more disease, more and more problems. Um, so I just think that's a, it's a pretty important fact as far as looking at our survival and our health as a species in general, um, rather than just kind of on the individual level. Uh, any thoughts about that, Nate? Yes, Liz- I'm uh, glad. I'm glad you brought it up, Colby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be cool if if we have the uh, 007 theme song for this podcast. By the way, um, <laughs> yeah. So I I think, like you said, environmental influence on the expression of genes is is uh, physiological truth. I mean, at this point, it. I mean if we want to talk about quackery not admitting that would probably quantify as as quackery with the amount of science we have behind it and um do you mean quaker you know, like, like quaker oats or no oh quakery no like <laughs> um there's like this website called like quack watch and i know i was, I I was just messing with you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because like um, when I first started kind of going my own way and getting into more like functional medicine stuff, Quack Watch was like on top of like all the, uh, you know, organic food stuff and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, GMOs and all that. But yeah, we have this situation where we're in these like Neolithic times where you know, like Jack, uh, Dr. Jack Cruz's example, you can eat a mango in Alaska during the winter. Um, you have like <clears throat> this access to food that's just unheard of within our human history. Um, and it's happened within the last several decades. Right. With improvement in technology, improvement in industry, and um, kind of the tail end of, you know, industrial revolution and all these uh advances in civilization and uh yeah so when we talk about that environmental influence on the expression of genes i can now go on my phone order groceries or order takeout and get it delivered to my home there's like no incentive to get out of my house for most things i might need to survive um and i think coming across this idea i first came across it in uh guns germs and steel by jared diamond because we have you know this paleolithic era where the human species evolved um as as a a means of survival through hunting and and trying to acquire food using a lot of activity um you know like the mental and physical capacity needed to survive different elements um they required a lot of physical work and um throughout time you know we eventually evolved into farming and we had the kind of farming revolution across the world where we could start to use you know agricultural technologies um and and we had enough uh cultural knowledge passed down to to do so and and still though we still had to work in a lot of cases to 
acquire food. We still had to be physically active. And then it wasn't until very recently, then like the last hundred years where we could really categorize this massive shift um, and, and the needs, the needs of survival. I think your phone just had flatulence. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I <laughs> forgot I didn't mute it. So I was just doing that real quick. Um, it wasn't cool. texting. Uh, yeah, no, I, it makes me think of uh, this, uh, this paper I had to write about um, Walmart back in the day. And it's like the, the quote for it, the model was uh, like the high price of low cost. So the way I see that now is like, you know, the cost is like what you're talking about is, is our effort. It's our, you know, the, um, like what is required to gain, gather those calories. And while we've pretty much eliminated that, you know, I can, it takes a few movements of my thumb, right. It's not going to really burn any calories or anything. And I'm getting all this high caloric refined, you know, carbohydrates and foods and sugars and all this. Um, so like that's the high, the high price for paying for that is disease. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one thing I thought was interesting, it made me think of when you were talking about is as far as this kind of paleolithic times, like kind of hunter gatherers, like, yes, we, we have kind of advanced, you know, beyond that a bit, our, uh, our intelligence has advanced, our technology has advanced, but I think one of the problems with all of that is that we've kind of segregated ourselves from all of the other animals on this planet. You know what I mean? Just because we have this intelligence and these capabilities and stuff like that. And I think that's where we're at this big discordance, right? Is that, no, we are still products of our environment, like straight down to the soil to our, you know, um, Mm -hmm. just as a little side note. So, yeah, so I mean, just to work off that, you know, um, like functional medicine, we're going to go into in this podcast, and like the first chapter defines, um, you know, the issue with medicine as, or, or the issue currently with healthcare and public health awareness and, and medicine is that we don't put enough appreciation onto the environmental application of disease, the environmental influence of disease. Um, And, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, it's kind of like that stoic thing where like, you got to accept the things you can change in your environment and, uh, you know, or you can't change rather and and try to work on the things you can change. I mean, some things like we just can't change, but what can we change and how can we go about changing it and making strategies and and that's kind of where the practitioner comes in to uh kind of set someone up on a very slow um transition and in a very methodical way of making small um changes to their life or lifestyle to eventually over the time of a course of set maybe several years um acquiring a, a better uh, lifestyle and a better health status and things like that so um, yeah I'd be interested in hearing more about your personal experience getting into functional medicine because it was funny when I met you uh, weightlifting like I was looking at the course you were taking like the master's course in uh, 
nutritional and functional medicine. And I was like, I actually like wrote an email to the university. I was thinking of applying and I was kind of like looking into the program and it was just really odd to meet like this weightlifter at a gym that was in it. Um, so yeah, what did, what did you, uh, how did you get about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, in my undergrad years, I was probably, I was definitely studying like more nutrition and, you know, ancestral health and stuff like that, like way more than my actual studies and classes. Um, and I think it was like on Facebook or something. I just, I came across this international conference on human nutrition and functional medicine. And I was like, Whoa, that sounds cool. Like, wait, what is functional medicine? Uh, so I had, you know, I contacted them and they had student discounts. Um, so I grabbed a buddy of mine and uh, for like five days, we went up to Oregon and we're just, we're in this big ballroom. There's like 200, 300 practitioners and nutritionists and, you know, whatever. Um, and it was just like, and here I am, I'm <laughs> this little undergrad student, you know, <laughs> I have no credentials or anything. And man, it was just, it was such a humbling experience. And like those five days just, I think just like changed my life. Um, and man, I'm, I'm so grateful and fortunate that I was able to get this education and have this, um, kind of way of thinking, um, before even going into medical school. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I finished the program and I really wanted to start something like what I'm doing now, kind of like this externist thing. Um, just, I just, I just felt the need that like, I need to get this information out. Like people need to know these things. Um, I just, I didn't really know where to start and I just felt really pressured to go to medical school. Um, I think a big part of that was that, you know, I was thinking like, okay, I have this knowledge and like maybe capabilities, but like, how could I best utilize this information in a way that like, I can really like try to make change in people's lives and like get people to, to follow, I guess, and to listen and to, and to do it and to implement. And I was like, well, having an MD behind my name would certainly help, you know? Um, so that's been kind of my job. And I mean, I've always, you know, thought about becoming a doctor and things like that, but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my experience with it. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you hear about it? You know, uh, I was just trying to remember how I heard about it. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, uh, getting into CrossFit and, um, you know, starting to follow ancestral health, um, getting more, you know, active and following like the paleo community. I, I feel like there was some kind of presentation that was put on by a functional medicine practitioner. Mm. Um, and I believe like some of the books I was reading, I believe Dr. Perlmutter at the time might've been considered a functional med doc. Can't remember. Um, one of the docs I was reading, they were a functional med doc and gotcha kind of went to the uh, Institute of Functional Medicine website, the IFM, and started researching. And I was attempting to, you know, this is after my pharmacy career uh, or, or pharmacy schooling and, and kind of at the tail end of my traditional career. And, um, 
yeah, I think, uh, you know, I tried contacting them and I was like, hey, I noticed that you accept uh, NDs, which is naturopathic doctors and DCs, you know, chiropractic doctors into your programs to get qualified. And I'm like, I have a PharmD, I have a doctorate in pharmacy and I'm interested in, you know, going through clinician, uh, you know, training. And they're like, well, sorry, we don't rep. Uh, recognize farm this, this time so it's like shut down uh, and uh yeah surprisingly i mean right you know yeah what I, mean, I didn't that? get yeah i didn't get um i didn't get too much support from my colleagues you know like if i told someone it's like hey you guys want to like get involved in functional medicine they're like no you know like it, it was so novel at the time i mean i, I literally got involved with it only a year or two after, maybe a year or two after the textbook was published. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think your your perspective is interesting because you went through that program, which I, you know, we were talking about it yesterday. It's very in-depth. I mean, you have the functional medicine textbook. You go through the functional medicine textbook, which was published in 2010. It ha hasn't been revised. Um, and it's very thorough. It's, it's really... Um, a remarkable uh, tool to have like um, so I mean you went through all that and then also you had the uh, nutrition as medicine textbook what book were you using uh, yeah this is called uh, nutritional medicine and yeah nutritional yeah. medicine and uh, I think like that should be the prerequisite for med school I, I don't know I mean um, like I've worked with MDs and a lot of MDs openly admit that they feel differently from sometimes from what they practice, but yeah, you know, they're just stuck in, um, they're stuck in the, the algorithms and, uh, but they also don't have, I don't think they get the resources either. Like you talk to some MDs and they're like, yeah, you know, I got six weeks of nutrition training in my MD work and that was it, you know, and, and what do you know, like nutrition is like this massive public health concern that is literally causing all this disease. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean like what, so I guess we should segue into what your um, background in functional medicine has given you in terms of perspective now that you're in medical school and, kind of getting you know the the allopathic approach yeah uh, one thing i wanted to just say um to go off of what you were saying um <clears throat> i was you know i was reading this book and it's called hippocrates shadow it's written by this er doc named david newman um he's out in new york i believe and and he mentions in this book about just like these big entities and these corporations you know like the american medical association or the um, you know, American Surgical Association, like I think it's the American Heart Association. Like, it's, it's funny in this book, he basically says that like, they do not exist for the health of the patient. They exist to be advocates for the physicians. And I just, it's a really interesting notion because it kind of goes along with like what you were just saying. And I mean, like my nutritional course in medical school is four days wasn't a full week <laughs> and, and it was basically okay here's vitamin a 
uh, here's where you get it from, <laughs> you know, here's, and then uh, here are the deficiency or um, intoxication symptoms. And okay, next vitamin, like that's literally it. Um, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big problem, like we were saying. And I mean, we were, we were talking, I think, in the last podcast about, you know, just the problem with, you know, a patient going to three different physicians and, you know, all three of them are saying, oh, no, don't eat this. Yes, eat that or don't eat that, you know. And then it's like, well, people, then people don't know what to do. And it's like, it's just, it's kind of a disservice to the patient if, you know, you kind of look at all this nutritional science that is out there, but was not delivered or even like what you're saying, um, like presented to these healthcare professionals that are like going to school for this, you know, it's just like, it's a big problem. And so I guess that's a good segue into, um, you know, when I was in medical school and there was, um, a lot of these kind of interest groups. So there was like a pediatrics interest group, surgery interest group and you know we'd have kind of like meetings every now and then and do kind of some presentations maybe have a guest speaker just you know something uh, maybe do something in the community and um, I ended up becoming um, president taking over presidency of the nutrition and medicine interest group which was kind of a, something that was a little new and uh, the former presidents like knew about my background and so they, re they reached out to me because they were, they were going to be leaving um, the island. And so I took over that. And that was kind of my first experience with, um, you know, kind of sharing this information. Um, and they must've been flabbergasted. <laughs> Honestly, I was, I was very nervous, like getting up there and saying, you know, like, Oh, this food is actually bad. And <laughs> you might, you might get crucified. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah honestly when i was doing a like a case study for my functional medicine book about this um, kid who had adhd and just was on like all these different meds for all these different conditions and you know they kind of did this functional medicine approach which you know, we'll probably get into a bit like over the next few episodes but i mean like this was something that was chronic and then over the co i think over the course of six weeks um just dramatic improvement like the mom was like just yeah flabbergasted <laughs> it was just totally you know unconventional but it actually it actually worked and um so anyways kind of going back um i also wanted to try to get like a, like a functional medicine doc to kind of do a like a webinar or some sort of um you know like presentation um, like about functional medicine and like kind of focus on nutrition and stuff. And so I, I took this idea to like one of the um, deans of academic affairs or whatever. And he basically just shut me down immediately. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to um, kind of prepare. And I was also just like really nervous because <laughs> like, because he is a doctor, um, you know, and uh, just, yeah, the fact that, you know, functional medicine just isn't very well known even at this point. And so in his mind, it was like, oh, I see the word medicine, but I don't see allopathic in front of it. So it must be some sort of pseudoscience or something. You know what I mean? It's very close minded. And uh, so 
yeah, whatever. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because like every, uh, you know, book I read written by a functional med doc or someone associated with that kind of thing goes into how upset they are about their nutrition training in medical school. It's like, <laughs> it's like, obviously this was the, this was the big one, like that. And then um, reading, you know, like William, uh, Dr. Will, uh, Dement's uh, Promise of Sleep. And I mean, he was one of the key researchers who discovered rapid eye movement. Mm. And his whole thing was like, we didn't learn about how important sleep was. Um, in fact, you know, medical doctors are probably some of the most sleep deprived people there are. So it's just like, uh, it's like these like bizarre, um, kind of occurrences that are so hypocritical to the actual message that, uh, you know, you associate with physicians in healthcare as being, oh, helpful and knowledgeable. And, uh, it's not to say that they aren't, I think they just don't get exposed to like some things that we know now as like really big public health issues and um yeah and and like most of the docs that kind of follow this less traveled road or swim upstream are the ones that are seriously advocating for this to be the change that we see um in, in the necessary uh means of going forward and seeing better health care so um right so maybe yeah, know, we should I, talk about what it is. <laughs> I, I was just about to do that. Like, all right, let's like, what is functional medicine? Um, there's, you know, there's a few principles um, kind of behind, you know, underlying the main theme of it. But um, I just wanted to read a little something out of, out of the textbook um, in one of the first chapters. And it says, a major challenge for medicine in the 21st century will be to move toward a thorough understanding of physiological mechanisms that underlie disease rather than simply labeling later stage effects with the names of diseases. All right. So what is this? So it's basically really looking at the biochemistry and the physiology of the human body and taking that in the context of, okay, what's, what's the dysfunction, right? It's not what's the disease. It's what's the dysfunction. What's the abnormal physiology and biochemistry that's occurring. And, that's going to be very individualized. Right. And so that's again, part of this functional medicine. Um, and you know, also the premise is that, you know, chronic disease, like the word chronic means like long-term, like it's not like an acute, like sudden onset of symptom. Right. And so, you know, we kind of have talked about this in the port and, you know, before that, you know, you can't fix a complex problem with a simple solution. Um, and so that's what functional medicine does is it really approaches the individual, tries to find like the root cause of that person's abnormal biochemistry or physiology. Um, I guess more of like utilizing that person's individual biochemistry to then help support a healthy functioning physiology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so just like real quickly, there's, you know, four P's to functional medicine. It's, it's personalized, it's participatory, um, which is actually like very important because I think you had mentioned this last time that like taking this approach takes a lot more time. It's a lot more effort, like a lot more 
you know, doctor visits, but it's like, because it's, um, it's participatory and like, but I think that's also why it's so powerful is that, man, you get people on board, like you as the physician and then the patient, you know, building this, you know, relationship that's going to benefit both of you. Um, and then it just, it makes you feel better, like that you have actual control, you know? Um, so let's see, what did I say? Personalized, participatory, participatory. It, it's preventive and it's predictable and i think that's the really cool thing because like um you know the book talks about a lot about like evidence-based and you know there's a lot of examples that they give where it's like somebody comes in and they've got some issue going on but because there's no evidence-based anything written about it the doctor just you know, they basically are, are labeling it as something that really they aren't qualified to do because it's actually not like there's actually no evidence for them to make that. If that makes, it's almost like an, ex, like an exclusion type thing. Yeah. Um, and so where functional medicine comes in, it's like, yes, like there may not be, you know, any evidence-based medicine for that particular labeled condition, but there yeah. is evidence-based medicine on the physiological and biochemical functions that are going on, or I guess that are now, dysfunctioning in that person and so it's just it just seems very simplistic just kind of going back to the root of how we function and trying to reverse that dysfunction and bring us back to normal so yeah I think I think um you know when I when I was starting to get into it um that was the big allure was they looked at it a different way I mean we see that kind of approach being spun by the mainstream media, oh, we need to get personalized medicine, but it always revolves around like drug dosing and drug combinations. Right. And um, it just gets so frustrating, you know, like practicing on the bench for so many years and seeing people get on more and more drugs and get worse. Um, it's just working backwards. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think I said on the last podcast, you know, that anecdotal experience with uh, a pharmacist who owned a pharmacy for three decades and was just outraged at um, the the just continuous kind of pill pushing agenda that seemed to be the norm and um, you know over the years I think personalized empowerment is is a huge part of advocating for the patient if we really want someone to learn we need to put the power to learn in their hands we need to put the choice in their hands it's yes. like you know you you can't just have someone come in and then they try they tell you a bunch of stuff and be like oh yeah i understand that but this is what we're gonna do and like and what you're gonna do is not what they want and and you're also not even giving them an option close to what they want like um, you know, yeah, some people might want drugs, but some people actually want the solution to not be on drugs. And like, I had enough people um, in my practice that wanted that latter solution, that it was motivating, you know, it was motivating to see someone come in and say, I got this prescription for Prozac, but I don't think I need it. I don't think it works for me. Like, yeah. and my doctor keeps telling me I need another med and I want to figure out something different like what can i do different like they don't want to be handed a med um not everyone does so yeah man it's just uh 
something that is um, too applicable and and too pertinent um, right now when we're seeing like more and more money keep going into this and, and more and more problems keep coming out and like you know it's just it's working backwards it's it's i mean it's just the biggest elephant in the room i mean at this point it's a it's a dinosaur it's just like a, a monstrous you know like the loch ness monster i don't know i mean it's just um nessie <laughs> nessie like nessie came out i mean uh he's real bro you can get like the Nessie um, soup spoon. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, like personalized, participatory, preventative, predictable. I think when we look at the functional medicine first chapter, it's just so on point. Where you know we get stuck up on this genetic predisposition to disease and. Mm-hmm. And we totally miss the big element of environment in affecting genes and how genes play out because genes don't just like automatically work in a certain way. I mean, environment and genes interact. They have an interaction. They yeah. have, you know, genes need certain things from the environment to operate at certain levels and certain efficiencies. And um, that's all common knowledge. Uh, through medical training, most medical training, I know we went through that in my training as a pharmacist. Um, So it's not like we can't say we don't know everything, you know, or we don't get exposed to at least the general theory and idea. Um, So, and we also know like 70% of the things we're treating right now are completely preventable, regardless of genetic predisposition. Um, and even when people have genetic conditions, um, it could be that they could come, uh, with the treatment in a form of something of this very nature, you know, nutrition, sleep, exercise, lifestyle, environmental change. Um, I mean, how do you think, uh, you know, the, the genetic piece played out in your kind of uh, training through functional medicine and then also how it's presented in um, your didactic coursework. Yeah, um, I think this is a great tie into uh, like the first principle of functional medicine, which is understanding um, of biochemical individuality. Um, and so, you know, yes, like in medical school, you know, we learn those those genetic diseases you know, like fragile X syndrome or kind of these um genetic conditions that, you know, have a, a pretty predictable, predictable pattern of inheritance and kind of mode of, of operation and stuff. But, you know, after my training, I kind of like disregarded the idea between genetic or non-genetic, because I think if we th- really look at it, everything is genetic, right? Because our environment is literally turning genes on and off. So whether you like get that inherited genetic predisposition or you put that predisposition onto yourself by your environment, you you get where I'm going with that. I think it's hard to separate the two into kind of two different entities. Of course, I mean, that's just kind of this idea that I have, but I think there's obvious, um, like down syndrome, for example, like it's an obvious, like 
you know, you're, you're, you're not going to like get that if you're born without it, you know, and then later you're going to develop it. So, um, yeah, I, I think, that, I but think just, yeah, I mean, but like down syndrome, that that's a genetic disorder where if you look at total caseload and applicability, that's such a small percentage of the true spectrum of people requiring treatment right now. Yeah. Um, so only to only to emphasize that point where, you know, there is there are these genetic diseases, but yeah. Um, so yeah. So this, you know, the biochemical individuality. Um, so I was going to tie that in with the with genetics. So um, there was this guy. I think his name was um, Roger Williams, and he coined this idea of what are called like genetotropic diseases, which are basically diseases that occur when the environment is not um, kind of supplying the basic functions that that person, that individual needs based on their genetic make their genetic expression. Sorry. Um, Cause you know, we're 99.9%. We have the same genes, but it's that 0.1% that accounts for all of our variability from the way we look to the way our enzymes function, like that literally 0.1%. Um, and so these, these kind of mutations that can occur, they're called polymorphisms or single nucleotide or SNRPs. I like to call them SNRPs. Um, <laughs> these are these, yeah, these nice. kind of genetic variations that occur in you know, at least greater than 1% of the population. And that doesn't seem very significant, but um, it is very significant because, you know, we talked about Bruce Ames and, you know, he had come up with the idea that these polymorphisms can actually lead to altered functions or diminished function of um, like an enzyme. All right. So, uh, so an enzyme is a protein. A protein is a product of genetic expression. Um, you know, just briefly vitamins, uh, the word comes from vital to amines. Amines are proteins. So vitamin meaning therefore vitamins are what are considered cofactors and they help to facilitate reactions in the body that enzymes do. <laughs> Not to get too complicated, but the significance of his work was that when you get these mutations, it actually decreases the affinity of that enzyme for that vitamin. And so what does this mean? This means that in order for that person who has this mutation, in order for that pathway to function at the same rate as somebody who doesn't have it, means that they might require 10 to 100 to 1,000, like just maybe a 1,000 times more of that particular vitamin than somebody else. And this has been very well documented. Um, probably the most common example is called methyl tetrahydrofolate, and it has to do with um, this uh, folate, methionine, um, homocysteine, um, like cycle, I know nobody knows what these words mean, but um, <laughs> they play pretty significant roles as far as <laughs> looking at like cardiovascular health and also genetic genetic modifications, um, you know, turning genes on and off and then how we can pass that down. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, incredible. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible talk, that talk about the drug part of it. Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, that's how this whole nutrogenomics 
kind of area became intriguing because in my own studies, we went through pharmacogenomics, mm -hmm. which is how enzymes interact with medications and how, you know, a person might have an enzyme in their liver that metabolizes at 60% capacity. And, um, you know, that might mean depending on how the drugs metabolize that they get increased efficacy from a, from a normal dose or decreased efficacy, meaning like there's more drug or less drug available, um, depending on how the drug works. So, um, you know, it's like, oh, this is this is going to be the future and this is really important, but we still don't see that even in um, the pharmacy world. And how inc incredible is it that your own nutritional choices or your own lifestyle habits can have a direct effect on enzyme functionality? Um, so it's kind of like now you're going to have this cascade effect where you're developing disease because um, of your nutritional or your lifestyle choices. And then your enzymes are less able to function properly. So then you have um, less predictability when you're getting treatments with pharmaceuticals. And um, we know that, you know, medication errors is like 400,000 deaths a year. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, when I practiced in the hospital, uh, you know, I was responsible for um, renal dosing. Uh, I was like that. We all had a clinical project and uh, I would go through every patient's, um, you know, renal function labs and check all their drug dosing and, you know, call the docs if their renal function was not within the limits of the recommended dosing and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's... Um, it's totally pertinent when we we can't even measure the enzymatic function in um, in a lot of cases, and it could be totally off, <laughs> you know, yeah. or it could be significantly off. I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, maybe what like ten to thirty percent. Um, that would be huge um, in some cases with uh, more potent medications. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you bring up a good point about like, it's, you know, it's hard to measure that enzymatic activity. And so like cool thing about functional medicine is that we kind of take advantage of the biochemical pathways that we know and understand. And then can, you know, you know let's say, you know, there's, uh, you know, you could either look at the substrate or the products that's present before that enzymatic reaction happens or the one that occurs afterwards. Right. And then that can kind of give you an assessment on depending on what, you know, how much of a particular um, like cofactor, like that vitamin you're providing, it can give kind of a sense of, of how well that enzyme is functioning a little bit. Um, but, Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure we hammered that one. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And that, that's a great point um, about the vitamins, um, you know, and, yeah, like you can you can test for it, but how many people test for it? <laughs> you know, if you, yeah. So anyway, yep. I guess one thing I needed to mention too about um, this idea of you know people potentially needing more of particular nutrients than other people, um, and it 
it's just like this generalization we have, right? With the with nutrition facts, right? You look on the back of your what, Nestle's chocolate milk or whatever, right? That's AHA approved and vegetarian. This <laughs> is not vegetarian, but, uh, you know, it has like, you know, you have- no, it is vegetarian. Um, it's lacto ovo. Uh, okay. Anyways, you know, you, you have a particular like gram or milligram, you know, amount that's listed and then it'll tell you the corresponding like percentage of that daily value that you receive. And the problem with that is that those recommendations, those daily values are actually just the minimum amount you need each day to prevent deficiency symptoms. And so that's really important because if all you're doing is try to match those daily values you're already behind right (laughs) you're basically right on the brink of and but this is the important thing is that you know we are much more aware of the deficiency symptoms like signs and symptoms but what about like an insufficiency right and that's where this that's where this biochemical individuality comes in that you know this person is receiving the you know 100 of the daily recommended value but that's actually only a tenth of what they actually need in order for that particular enzyme or whatever to function properly right so yeah and that's don't pay too much attention to the daily value (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's like survival values like how much do you need to stay alive um and you bring up an interesting i mean perspective on you know symptoms i mean you said symptoms it's like in um pharmacology you know when we look at therapeutic dosing um and we look at like let's say like risk of having a side effect i mean side effects won't show until a certain dose and you might be above or below what is actually therapeutic therapeutically necessary So it's kind of the same concept. Like you might not get symptoms of a deficiency, but how, how about you being deficient because your enzymes aren't actually functioning at the right level to, to, uh, thrive. So it's like, (laughs) I mean, it's just absolutely insane. If you think about it, like what we're just telling people is you need this much to basically like not get a disease. Um, that we know of or die and then you know how much do you actually need to to thrive and be healthy and um, develop good health and good functionality yeah i mean i don't know why they don't have like the daily value for like prozac you know like because depression is so high like doesn't that mean that people aren't reaching their daily recommended dosages of (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man i just finished my blog post uh talking about like my own personal journey with anxiety and stuff and uh um you know in medical school we learn you know and i'm doing my psychiatry rotation right now you know we have all these different psychological conditions that we've labeled you know it's like end stage so we have depression and anxiety and um you know post-traumatic stress disorder, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, what all of these things have in common is that they all have the same first-line treatment, and that is an SSRI, something that's trying to boost serotonin, Prozac, like I just mentioned. Um, And so, 
know, I think what functional medicine kind of does, or maybe that what the, my training has helped me to realize is that, you know, you can kind of just categorize all these under one big umbrella term. If you look at your treatment, right? What the treatment is focused on. The treatment is focused on this theme that there's a low serotonin, right? That you, you have a depleted serotonin. Um, so then the treatment is the same for all of those, right? So, but now for functional medicine, like instead of, I guess, conventional medicine would just treat those as different disorders, right? But I guess from my approach, I would say, no, I think it's all the same. It's all relative. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, I could have low serotonin levels and I would present with more like depressive symptoms versus like you, you might, you know, present more with anxiety or fear or panic. Right. And this is where I just not only the biochemical individuality, but I think this is a good segue into the second principle, which is the patient patient centered rather than disease centered approach. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I think we were talking about this the other day where, you know, we have these like laundry lists of conditions coming in um, and they all have this kind of network of physiological root cause. And that's where functional medicine docs kind of go in as a personal approach and say like, oh, okay, you have, you know, depression and bipolar and you know, maybe you have some kind of like personality stuff going on. And um, you also might have, uh, you know, metabolic disease or cholesterol issues. And um, well, like, it's kind of clear from what we just went over, that there could be a nutritional root cause to all that stuff. <laughs> like, because it's just connected to so many things when you're when you're deficient in certain um, nutrients and, and essential nutrition uh, elements like, uh, you know, your proteins, vitamins, minerals, these are the building blocks to these chemical signaling agents like serotonin. These are the building blocks to beta cells of your pancreas to producing insulin. These are the, um, you know, signaling to your liver to produce different liver enzymes for transporting fats and, I mean, it's all rooted in the same place. Um, and, you know, like the human body is basically like 99 point. I mean, er, almost everything about the human body is uh, identical across the board for every human. And, you know, like over 90% of it is like made of like six elements, you know, you got your carbon, your oxygen, your um, phosphorus, uh, water uh you know yeah and um etc cetera, etc cetera. and then kind of like the less than 0.1 percent are these trace elements um and your and your essential nutrients are kind of grouped mm-hmm. into that category and um but they they work with thousands of processes in the body it's just so bizarre how tiny and minuscule their composition is at the micro level but how powerful they are at the macro level and and functioning and so like when you when you get to the personalized level yeah like yeah like you 
it's really difficult to prove this kind of stuff. You need like these huge elaborate trials, which requires a lot of money, um, a lot of political stuff, um, you know, a lot of um, work. And it's like, is that even necessary if we can just um, kind of like just connect the dots of physiology and physiological need as advocacy um, and, and the evidence we have, the small anecdotal ev- evidence we have as, as a premise and a foundation. I mean, like, um, there's so much rooted together. There's so much that fits in together. And I think allopathically approaching a patient, is so, um, you know, allopathic approach is very systems based. So the liver gets treated as a liver disease and the heart gets treated as a heart disease and the, right. and the brain gets treated as a psych disease and none of that stuff gets um, connected for, for environmental impact. And I think that's a, the big contrast, like the functional medicine approaches. All right. The environment is doing something to your body. Yeah. Um, and they kind of go into environmental health, which I think, kind of attracts maybe the younger generation that's kind of more concerned about environmental health and all that stuff. But, you know, looking at like, well, how does soil quality affect the food you're eating and the vitamin um, composition? And, you know, like um, if you're eating foods that have been, you know, have GMOs and have been treated with like high dose pesticides and herbicides and fungicides. And I mean, this stuff shows up in your blood um, so you're getting less nutri- nutrition and you're getting more exposure to these like bizarre chemicals that we've never consumed as a species. Um, it's almost like one giant lab project. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like everybody's a test tube. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird, but. So yeah, I, mean, yeah I, think, like, I think we kind of skipped right over the patient-centered and went right to uh, <laughs> this web-like interconnectedness of the body. <laughs> I, well, going back to the <laughs> patient-centered. <laughs> we love you, patients. Uh, <laughs> we're here for you, you know. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, think, I, um, yeah, individuals. Yeah, like you, individuals. You, you, you mentioned a lot of good things. Um, also, your water bottle makes a lot of noise. I know. I keep forgetting. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it open. I, I have a really bad habit of closing water bottles, and then I get thirsty. Again. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, you, you bring up a lot of good points about, and I mean, again, this is another one of the principles is just looking at this, the kind of the dynamic balance between like your external factors and the, your internal environment. Um, and also looking at, you know, mind, body, spirit, you know, it's, I think that's a very kind of you know, big theme that's gained a lot of popularity as far as um, its impacts on health. And, um, but going along with like what you're saying about these environmental inputs is that like everyone's going to have a different one. It's going to be different, you know what I mean? And so that's why we take that patient when i say we i mean like my future self (laughs) Uh, you know we'll take a we'll really focus on the patient and their life and it's just you know this i think this is where 
maybe some confusion comes in about this. And I know we're kind of getting a little off track, but you know, a lot of these things that we're talking about as far as like your, your social, like social factors that could be influencing your health. Um, some environmental factors that are, that are, you know, put into that, your family history, things like this, things that I've, you know, was trained to, um, to assess and to, um, I guess, evaluate, um, you know, when I'm interviewing a patient or something. But I think just what functional medicine does is that they just, they understand a lot more about each one of those particular things in those categories and how they actually influence health versus, you know, like, like diet, like the great example, you know, we're talking about, um, (laughs) I think we were talking about this yesterday that, you know, patient goes in and they ask their doctor or sorry, the doctor asks, um, how's your diet? And the patient says, that's good. And then they move on to the next question. And it's like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, (laughs) that's, that's a, like the patient and the doctor, like have to be on the same page about that. And I mean, doctors in general need to all be on that the same page, you know, which I think is kind of my impetus for doing this. Like I want to, I want to, you know, start with my class that I went to medical school with and trying to like, you know, just embed this way of thinking in their minds before they even get out there. Um, like that's kind of, you know, one of my goals with this and kind of got a little off track with that one, but I guess just as far as this, the patient centered, they're going to have different, you know, functional medicine looks at what are called like antecedents and these predisposing factors. Um, and, oh man, okay. This is a great example of like this patient centered, um, is that, um, sorry, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was looking at your text. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, no worries. Um, okay what was i talking about well you're talking about how um you know we go into these patient-centered approaches where uh, or like what what we think is patient-centered is like asking these kind of just obligatory algorithmic questions and we have patients um right in front of us and this opportunity to kind of delve into like the known predisposing lifestyle ah, habits. Yeah. Okay. That I we can um, kind of and maybe like go more into like influencing through, uh, you know, practice. Yeah. Uh, so one of the kind of one of these tools in functional medicine is um, it's called this timeline. And um, I'd like to do maybe some blog posts about these things, but because it's easier to explain with like diagrams and writing. Um, but like one of like the basis for that is, you know, kind of going along with this patient centered approach, um, is that, you know, somebody could have had an event that occurred like, you know, way back in their past that is actually like a huge contributor and like, um, yeah, just, it's, it's a, it's exacerbating their condition, but a conventional medicine approach, like probably wouldn't even think twice about that as being able to cause this thing because it's, there's no evidence-based medicine for that. You know what I'm saying? So this is just, this is the freaking cool part about this is like, I've just, I've read stories and, um, you know, just cases of like, there's people who have 
it's just it's so very personal as far as like you know okay somebody whatever somebody's got you know somebody's depressed they have some low serotonin or whatever like okay you know again what's the cause of that in this particular person are they having gi issues maybe they're just so stressed out that you know just their cortisol is just messing with their physiologist i mean i, I don't know how many different examples we can give about this yeah. patient center i think we've kind of um you know nailed nailed that one um yeah, everyone, everyone is different. Every, everybody makes different choices. Everybody grew up in a different way, has been exposed to different experiences. And just being able to sift through what might be important. Yeah. To, oh, uh, oh, so, so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, and just kind of addressing things that, and then the other part of the personalized approach is like when I work with people, I just give them my ideas and I give them options and kind of, um, you know, what I think the impact of each option would be. Right. Um, like in weightlifting, we call it, you know, leaving kilos on the platform. Um, so like, and, you know, like if you're training someone and you want them to get stronger, well, squat's going to make them get stronger but it's not going to improve their snatch technique. Ah. But you might want them to get stronger and then later on try to work on snatch technique and be stronger when they eventually snatch. Um, kind of a weird analogy, but um, whatever. Yeah. And then like, you know, whatever they think they can actually do, like some people just don't want to make certain changes to their life. They might have an emotional reason or whatever the reason may be, I think it's good to put things in perspective of how important they might actually be. And then also get um, feedback from the person of what they are willing to change and what they're willing to accept as, um, you know, consequence or, or right. possible consequence. So that's, that's another part of personal medicine that I think is important. Yeah, no, uh, you bring up a really good point, um, just real briefly that, you know, we were taught in medical school and, you know, in our transition to clinical medicine and actually dealing with people is that, you know, somebody's going to come in and like, it's likely that they will have more than one complaint. And you as a practitioner, it's your job to not um, guess at which one holds the most importance, but to determine based on your interview and your interaction with that patient and that person, which one is actually more important. And, and so the, the, the thing about this is that, you know, not everybody's going, the first thing somebody says isn't always the most important thing that's going on with them or that's on their mind. It could be the last thing they say, but like just that notion that just because the first thing I present is the main thing I, that's going on. That's, that's just not true. Um, and Oh, shoot, I had a really good point, and then I finished the other one, and then now I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was something you were talking about. Um, I think we covered like all of the the peas. Yeah, I, just, I wanted to last, say it's kind of like a weird thing how we covered them all in like one, in, in what we talked about. But yeah, I just. Oh, you remember? Do you no, remember? but. Oh. 
I just, you know what? I, um, yeah, I don't. It had something to do with um, somebody's primary concern. Or oh, okay, I got it. So that's the cool thing about functional medicine. And this, um, you know, one of these principles is kind of this web-like interconnectedness of the body, um, and like these internal physiological factors. Is that, um, and like again, I don't have any experience with this because I'm not a practitioner, but. I have a lot of like research and the education with this. So like a lot of this is just based on what, you know, what I've, what I've read from other people's stories. And, um, but so there's this kind of this common theme that, um, and also if there's another tool where we use like this functional medicine matrix and we can put people's symptoms, like signs and symptoms into particular areas of dysfunction. And then at, after you're all done with that, you can look at which area actually has the most dysfunction and typically when you target that area with the most, everything else kind of resolves itself. Um, yeah, yeah, that's maybe like- I can, that's maybe, a- maybe I can find some case studies or something to kind of highlight this fact instead of just pretending like it's something that I do. Um, but I just wanted, that's, <laughs> that's something I wanted to mention real quick. And uh, again, like this evidence-based, like, oh, this person has all these different things. Well, there's evidence-based medicine for this rash. There's evidence-based medicine for this headache. There's evidence-based medicine for this diarrhea, whatever. But, oh, what do you know? It's all coming from like some sort of low-grade inflammation or dysbiosis that's going on in the gut. So we'll, we'll delve into this more. But just to wrap up this episode, since we're already over an hour, and I know you got to go, Nate, <laughs> to identify these last these last two principles real quick, and maybe we can talk about them more as we go on. But the last two, um, identifying health as a positive vitality. Um, so this is, you know, it's kind of emphasizing, um, like emphasizing the importance of healthy physiology, right? Like a vigorous, healthy, robust physiology. And, you know, we kind of mentioned this at the very beginning, how, functional medicine looks at biochemistry and physiology and approaches disease from that perspective, not just from a label. Um, and then the last one is this promotion of organ reserve. So it's called, so, um, rather than looking at like the lifespan, it serves to focus on the health span. And I think that's just, that's that, awesome. I think that's, yeah. I think that's a good way to end the podcast with that one. You know, we're all yeah. about, we're so concerned with longevity and not health. <laughs> and I think there's, there's, there is a big difference between that. And so, yeah, man, um, Nate, I, that was, I, uh, that was some good stuff. Thanks. I, I wanted to say, um, the last two points are kind of very CrossFit. Um, you know, like, uh, one of the things that really attracted me to CrossFit was this notion that, you know, fitness isn't just like having good blood biomarkers, you know, or, or having a normal BMI. Um, there's more to it than that. There's more to uh, physiological health and fitness. Um, and I guess CrossFit was the way to define that. It, that, that was their mission. And uh, like, what does it matter if you live to 80 if you're in a wheelchair and on an oxygen tank and you know halfway <laughs> paralyzed um i mean is that yeah. like what what we like part of health is quality of life and and how how functional you are and how and and 
being able to do the activities of daily living. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's a great way to end it. I think it's, I find a lot of um, things, similarities in how CrossFit and um, functional medicine work off each other. So yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. So uh, cool. awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Nate, for coming on and sharing your thoughts and your experiences and uh, big thanks to all those listeners. Yes, thank you very much, and thanks for having me, Colby. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, for our future conversations about this functional medicine. I think it it's too important, and uh, yeah, we need to we need to spread the good word. True that. Like Jesus. <laughs> Amen. All right, Nate. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later.